Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to go down and read verse number 12 out of the NLT. Going to go to this camera right here. All right, verse number 12 said, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there be no, will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead, or from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died before believing in Christ are lost. If our hope in this uh, world, in Christ, is only for this life, we are more, I'm sorry, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits or the first fruit of, of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 21, so you see, just as Christ came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because of we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order, and we're not going to that part, but I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you now for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for giving us your son. We thank you for giving us grace and truth. Grace is upon us, truth is in us. We thank you for giving us grace and truth through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we bless you, we praise you, we appreciate you, and we thank you for giving us your life and then giving us eternal life. Now, we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I'm asking you for the wisdom for this, the knowledge, the understanding, to help us to understand your word. We bless you, we praise you, we appreciate you, and all agree with that prayer said, amen. All right, you can take your seats. Now, what I'm going to be doing is, I say a lot of things, but I have to come back and prove them, okay? So when I say some things, just bear with me. I will be giving you the scripture concerning those things. I'm a pastor who uh, love giving you the word, and I'm a pastor who want to make sure uh, that you understand the word. I want to make sure uh, that you understand what I'm saying, all right? So we're going to get right into God's Word. So my subject today, that was my series. The first thing I gave you was eight reasons why God raised Jesus from the dead. That was my series. Now what I want to do uh, is to make sure uh, that I give you the scripture to go with the message, okay? Now... My subject, once again, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with two different things today, so I got to put this under eight reasons why God raised Jesus from the dead. To make us heirs, that's what we're going to look at. To make us heirs of righteousness. So we're going to look at it like this. God made us heirs of righteousness. Because that's the reason. The reason why God raised us from the dead was to make us heirs of righteousness. Now that word as is the same word as inherit. 
All right, so we're going we, 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 we following up from last week. You remember last week we talked about uh, eternal life. And I said this to you, that you can't inherit eternal life unless you are an heir. So I want to give you that. I don't want to just say it to you. I'll be, be ahead of you. So what I like to do is to give you all the different information God has given unto me. So I'm talking about once again, why, the, the word is, eight reasons why God raised Jesus from the dead, to make us heirs of righteousness. So God made us heirs of righteousness. Say that with me, God made us heirs of righteousness. All right, see, everything, see, grace, once again, grace is everything God has done for you. That's what grace is. So God did everything for us on the cross. That's why our salvation is without works. Now, there's a, a lot in the word that you might not know. See, there's a lot in the word that you might not know. All right? So my job is to make sure I continue to give you information. All right? Now, I can't base my salvation on what somebody said or what somebody think. That's why I have to give you the word. Thank you very much. I have to give you the word. All right? You base your salvation on the word, what the word says. All right? Uh, now, what I want to do is... I want to go back and just bring you up a date just a little bit. Uh, eight reasons why God raised Jesus from the dead. I'm putting this tape because I had to add a tape to my series. So my storehouse knows where it's going to go. So I won't bother that on, at this time. They got that covered. Now, when I started this series, I, I talked about eight reasons why God raised Jesus from the dead. Number one, I say to deliver us from our sins. And so that's why I gave you 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Because 1 Corinthians 15, 17 told us that if Christ be not raised from the dead, you are yet in your sins. So God, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made us righteous. So we have to understand what happened. That's why we gave you Romans 4, 25. So I don't know, can you keep it with me on the screen on these? Because I'm just going to give you those one scriptures at a time if you want to do that. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, just one scripture. All right. Because that's what had to happen. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he made us righteous. So that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, you are yet in your sins. Do everybody see that? Now, I'm just giving you two in the scripture. Let me go back over here. We got an audience out here on on Facebook, I'm aware about it. All right. Now, do you see that out there? Okay. First Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ be not raised from the dead, you yet in your sins. All right. Now let's go to Romans 4.25. So in Romans 4.25, we have to know what happened when God raised us from the dead. Romans 4.25, uh, God made us righteous. That's why I'm, uh, I'm doing this. Romans 4.25. I'm just giving you to quick on the screen so we can catch up quickly because I got a lot of information I got to get to. Uh, Romans chapter 4. But I'm talking to those people who might not have heard this message uh, wherever you are. I'm reading out the NLT. Romans 4.25 He has handed over Christ was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made us right with God. So we have to understand uh, he qualified us now. That's what he did. Now, there's no way you could have got life if Christ didn't rise from the dead. 
You got to understand that. There was no way. So what I want to look at today is how God made us sons. When I say God made us righteous, uh, we inherit righteousness, we have to understand that's how we became sons. So those are the kind of things I'm going to get into today. Then I said second, part two, I said to prove Jesus is the son of God. That's Romans 1 and 4. I'm just go, running through these. Romans 1 and 4. Uh, we, go, we are in the NLT. We're reading out the NLT today in the King James. So any one of those you have is okay. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4. Told us, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was to prove that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. That's why he said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And we're going to see that he really did. He draw all men into himself. Okay, that's really what he was saying. All right, now, we're going to, we're going to look at number three. And he says, why God raised Jesus from the dead? To quicken us in Christ. And that word quicken, quicken was to make us alive. See, all of these you're seeing. He made us alive. That's Ephesians 2.1, just one verse there. Ephesians 2.1. We'll look at that, and we'll look at Colossians 2.13 and 14. But let's go to Ephesians 2.1 first. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made us alive in Christ. See, but just like if you, if you, you have Adam, and we have to know what happened when God raised Jesus from the dead and Adam. See, in the first there has only been two creations, and that's Adam and Christ. That's it. So God only created two men. And once he created Adam, and then he created all of us in Adam. Say that with me. God created Adam. He created us in Adam. Say God created Christ. God created us. In Christ. Right. So we were created in Christ. See, he only created two men, but he created everybody in those two men. In, in Adam, we was all natural. In Christ, we all spiritual. Everybody understand that? Okay. Now, that's how you have to look at things. So that's why Ephesians 2.1, uh, let's go there, Ephesians 2.1. I'm reading out the King James here. But you can, you can put up the, that'll be, that'll be good. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you has he quickened. Ephesians 2, 1. And you has he quickened that were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So God quickened us. Now what did I tell you the word quickened mean once more time? He made us alive. All right. Now to make us alive means he made us righteous. To make us alive means he gave us life. All right. Not eternal life, but life. And that's what I want to show you, the difference that, 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 that people was given life, but they don't have eternal life until they believe the gospel. All right? The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. All right? Now, let's go to another Colossians. Let's look at that. Colossians chapter. We're talking about he quickened us uh, in Christ. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Let's go over there. Uh, we, we're going to catch up. Kind of bring everybody up today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Just two verses on the screen. It says, And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with Christ. 
So the word quicken me once again. He made us alive together with Christ and has forgiven us of all our trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So that's already happened. We're showing you what Christ did for us. That means grace. All right, the next, the next thing he did, he, he redeemed us from all iniquity, Titus 2.14. He redeemed us from all iniquity, Titus 2.14. Now, that word redeemed means he bought and paid for our salvation. All right, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, just one verse, who, were, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and then he purified to himself a peculiar people. And that's what he did. Zealous of good work. So that's why the next verse I talked about, uh, a matter of fact, the next verse I didn't, but after that I talked about he purified our conscience. We'll get to that later. But here we go, next what we talk about, he created us in Christ. Ephesians 2.10. Let's go to that. He created us in Christ. So we have to understand we are the new creation. He created us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 said we are his workmanship. That word workmanship means new creation. We are his new creation created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So he created us in Christ. And that was, uh, he, he created us in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. Let's do one more there. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. God created us. And so Paul's message uh, was to, because he had the revelation of the mystery, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, his message was to make all men see what was the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. See, this was hid in God, Ephesians 3, 9, who created all things by Jesus Christ. But first it was hid in God, so that's why when Christ came, it was revealed. All right, the next thing was to purify our conscience, cleanse our conscience. Our conscience is our soul. He purged our conscience. That was uh, uh, Hebrew 9.14. Let's, let's go look at that. He, he, Hebrew 9.14. See, you got a lot of religion, and so what I, my ministry is is to destroy religion. You know, I'm, I'm hard on religion uh, because this is what got man blinded from the truth is religion. And there are a whole lot of folks going to church today still believing that they were saved by water baptism, still believing that they sinned were forgiven by water baptism because that's what they've been told from the pulpit. People are still telling you you got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart before you're saved. Don't know, don't know. That's the works. Your work is confession. So if you go back, you got, that's why they had to hold fast their confession without wavering. And if they wavered at all, it was no good. That's what James says. He that wavers a double-minded man. Let him not think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So they had to hold on their confession. So if they got the hair cut off, they had to renounce Jesus. That's what they told. That's why Paul persecuted the church. Because he wants them to renounce Jesus. So all them that confess Jesus, they will be headed. See, that's not our salvation, thank God. Amen. 
All right, now, uh, Hebrews 9, 14, that's where I am. It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, off himself will I spot the God, here it is, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So it took God's son on the cross to purge our conscience. Let's look at it again, Revelation 1, 5. What did he do, pastor? He washed our soul with his own blood. Now this was, was Jesus. Remember, Jesus Christ is, when you're talking about your image, he's the express image of the Godhead bodily, but he also is our, what would I want? What is Jesus Christ to you? I know, I know all that, but I'm, talk, I'm trying to get you a sense of picture. I said it all the time. I thought you would have picked it up. Uh, see, he represents us before the Father. So how many know what the word I'm looking for? No, no. If somebody represents you before the Father, yeah, yeah, he's a mediator, but it's another word. I'm here, but I'm not here. Your identity. See, he represents you before the Father. See, you, it's not you that live. See, it's Christ that lives in me. So he represents you before the Father. So your identity is in Christ. Now, you probably heard me say that a hundred times. How many have ever heard me say that? I say it all the time. Christ is your identity. That's what I'm saying. You need to take note. See, it's, so when Jesus died on the cross, that was your death. He didn't die for himself. He knew no sin. So he died for our sin. He died for us. See, Christ represented us on the cross. Jesus was a soul man. Christ was a spirit man. So whatever punishment Jesus took, he took your punishment. He took my punishment. That's why the Bible said Isaiah 53 said he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity, and then the chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes we are healed. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin shall live on the righteousness, so we can be dead to sin. Now we can live on the righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So everything he did, it was for us. So he is our identity. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His going to hell was my going to hell. I don't have to go to hell anymore. Everything he did, he did for me. Somebody give him some praise in this house. Thank you for that. That's why you got to know what Christ did for you. So if he already did it for you, he, isn't this something? Christ forgave, forgave us of all our sin, and yet, you know what people are telling people today? How to get rid of sins. See, they don't believe the gospel. They don't, they don't believe the Bible. They're they teaching you their tradition. They're teaching you what they've been taught at their church. I've been in the ministry for 40 years, and people are still teaching you Acts 2.36. Now, I got, I, I got a question. When are you going to ever move to Acts 3? Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6, Acts 7, you know what I mean? 
Still in Acts 2.38, how can you preach one scripture for 40 years? But people still doing it. Know nothing about Romans, know nothing about nothing else. None of Paul's ministry, just Acts. You are still under the law. The new covenant didn't start until the book of Romans, given to the apostle Paul. All right. Now, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 is what I said. This letter, Revelation 1 and 5, is from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. He's the first begotten of the dead. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, isn't that something? Christ washed us from our sins in his own blood, and yet people would sit up in the church and say, you got to be water baptized. Wash away your sins. Just blind. That's all I can say. I would say something else, but that's, that's enough. Now, today what I want to do, now there's a lot, but I want to talk about heirs of righteousness. So when Christ raised from the dead, he raised to make us heirs of righteousness. So we had to inherit righteousness. So let's go look at some of those. Uh, let's go to Romans. Uh, I got a lot of these, so I don't know how I'm going to be able to do right now. But let's go to Romans. 324. You're just going to run through a handful of them anyway. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. See, everything he did was to make us right with God. But to make us right with God is, is to make us sons. So if we become sons, then we become heirs. I want you to understand the process. Here I am, a man who was a Gentile, but I have no inheritance. So how is God going to get me eternal life? He had to first make me a son. Everybody understand that? Now, you might not understand that. But think, think about this. If you have a mother and a father, and they are wealthy, or whatever they have, but we're going to say they're wealthy, and you're going to ask them one day, Mama, Daddy, what did you leave us? Now, only one reason they're going to answer your question, because if you're not one of their children, they're not going to even entertain that, right? You cannot walk up to another man and say, uh, I know you, Mr. General Moore, let's take General Moore, Ford, Christ, let's take some of these people. And uh, you walk up to them and say, what did you leave me? And Mr. Ford or Mr. General Moore or Mr. Chrysler says, I really didn't leave you nothing. Now, why are they right? Because you're not their child, right? You're not their son and daughter. So the only way you can become a son and daughter, they have to make you an heir. Now, they can really make you an heir. Did you know that? They can write a will up and say, I, wanna, I want everything I have to go to Pastor Earl O'Crump. I take it. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Ford Chrysler General Motors. But when they did that, they made me an heir, didn't they? So you know what? If one of those people pass away, guess who get everything they got? Hello. Now, why am I going to get it? Ain't but one reason I'm going to get it. It's only one reason I'm going to get it. Huh? Did, are you all here? Are you going to leave what you got to somebody else? Y'all don't even, 
You look at me like, I reckon. Well, you know what? Make sure, make sure, sister, come. You get all. Raise your hand. Everything you got, you gonna leave me. Raise your hand. What the hands? And I, I just asked you the other question. You didn't sit in. So, do you do you understand if you don't leave what you have to somebody, go back to the state? Maybe that's the problem. Don't don't know what happens. If you don't leave what you have to somebody else, it will go back to the state because there's nobody to claim it. And most people that go that, that get up in age, they don't they don't even think about this. Write a note or something. Have it certified, stamped. At least at least somebody got that piece of paper. So you got to be an heir. That's my point. So so God's son died. But he died so we could have everything he got. Now that's an awesome thing, what I just said. But I'm going to show it to you in the Word. So, so it, we, we'll eventually get to it. Now we're going to be reading out the NLT, okay? Uh, if I forgot to tell you. So Romans 3, 24. We, we go on to the NLT because everything we're about to read now, we're going to read it out the NLT. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 24. Yet God, okay, it's on the screen. Here we go. We have this camera. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declared that we are righteous. Now remember, God declared you to be righteous. And you know, yet people say, I'm not righteous. You know what you're going by? You're going by the old man, Adam. No, he's not righteous. <laughs> Praise God. But God has declared you righteous. Now, what happens is people won't receive it. So when you question that, that's your salvation. Because God can't give you his eternal life until you, you know you're righteous, until you accept it. Say, I accept. I accept. Come on, Father. Father. Everybody. If you ever accept some, accept this. Please. Say, say Father. Father. I, accept I accept your eternal life. But first, I accept that I'm righteous. You made me righteous. When you raised Jesus from the dead, I receive that now. Now thank him for it. Put your hand together and thank him for it. It has nothing to do about how you feel. Listen, listen. If anything happened, say for example, me and my wife, Everything we have would go to our children. It had nothing to do with how they feel. I just don't feel like receiving what they left me. What if they open an account and say it's $100 billion? I don't really feel like receiving $100 billion today. Who cares how they feel? Girl, go to the bank. Can you understand that? Well, God left us everything he has. But the key is this. Until you become a son or daughter, you cannot become an heir, and you can't get everything you have. That's why so many people right now are still trying to get stuff from God, and you can't get it because you're not even an heir. It's not your inheritance. So that's why when Jesus taught this, he taught 
In Matthew 6, 30, 31, 32, 33. I'm not going there. I'm just showing you what it is. He told him, do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Then in Matthew 6, 33, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added. Everything he has will be added if you'll just do what you're supposed to do. Seek first the kingdom. You got to make sure you first you are a son. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You can't get all things without him. You got to have Christ first, and then God gives you eternal life. Say that with me. You, I must have Christ first, and then God give me eternal life. How many know this is my water jug here? You do know that's what this is, right? Let me look at the camera. You do know this is where I drank my water out of. But if I didn't have this container, I had nowhere to put my water. So God had to give me Christ first so I have somewhere to put my water. This is a spirit. You can't put the spirit in old wineskins. So God had to give you a new wineskin. How many know the new wineskin is Christ? And then he can put the new wine in Christ and put Christ in you. I'm going to tell you every way I can tell you, hopefully one day you'll see. I was blind, but now I see. Let's go to Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24, we're in NLT. In Yet God, with undeserved kindness... Declared that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. When he freed us. All right, I gave you Romans 4.25 already. Now, I'm going to get into some more of these things a little later, but I got to get into some in-depth things in, in, that I got to teach on today. So what I want, I want you to do is we're going to go to Galatia. Go to Galatia chapter 4. I'm reading out the NLT. Galatians chapter 4. I want to prove to you by the word that you cannot get eternal life until you first become a son. Now, this, this is not just a talk, I'm a son. Let, let me give you a couple of scriptures before we go there. Now, remember, write this down because I'm going to come back here. Galatians 4.1. I'm talking to the people in the back, too. Write it down so you know who I am when I come back. Let's go to Matthew 3, 17. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. From there, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Just write these down. Then I'm going to give you one more, Matthew 21, 33 through 43. So I'm giving you three scriptures. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Then Matthew 21, 33 through 43. And we're going to be reading out the NLT. Matthew 3, 17 coming up. Now, what I want to show you first of all is why Jesus could receive the Holy Spirit. Coming down. Why did Jesus, why could Jesus receive the Holy Spirit? 
out of all I've told you so far, why Jesus could receive the Holy Spirit. Talking to that camel right there. Because he was a son. You can't give the Holy Ghost to a person not a son. So God wanted you to have everything he has. After that, I want you to write down Romans chapter number 8. I'll give you the scripture later. Romans chapter 8. We're going to go there after we do these three scriptures. We will show you that in Romans chapter 8. We're going to show you this. Uh, we'll go to Romans chapter 8, and then we'll, go to, we'll start at verse 5. Just remember that. And we're going to read till we're done. All right. Now, right now you're in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. I'm speaking to this camera. And verse 17. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my dearly beloved son, which bring me great joy. What does the son do? He brings the father great joy. Now you got to ask yourself, are you a son? Matthew 17, 5. Because if you're not a son, you don't bring him great joy. Matthew 17, 5. Just want to make sure we're up there. Matthew 17, 5. Because I want to make sure these are on the screen. Matthew chapter 17, there it is. Going to come to this camera right here. Matthew 17, 5. But even as he spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came, from, came, uh, came and said, This is my dearly beloved son. Somebody said, That's me. That's me. Yeah, you got to know who he's talking about. What do you say about you as a son? There's again, who brings me great joy. Mm. If you're a son, you ought to do what? You ought to bring your father great joy. Nothing hurts a parent more than a child that will not bring them great joy. I leave and let that soak in. We go to Matthew 23 next, right? Uh, now you're listening. You got it. And we're going to go to verse 31, 33, right? All right, you got it. Matthew chapter number 21, verse 33. So I'm reading out the NLT. Now I'm going to give you a parable. Jesus had to be a son. That's why he was there. If you're not a son, you're not an heir. See, God put you in Christ at the cross. But until you believe it, until you receive it through faith, it's just laying there. It's just laying there on the table. God has given you everything. Until you become a son, you get none of it. See, what, what we got to understand is that's why the devil is, is so busy, they say. Really ain't the devil, but all his demonic spirits. Because they already know. Angels already know what God had for you. But they didn't get it. You got it. So they got to do something to keep you from getting it. So they got you busy. Come on over, the boys call Come on, get high, man. Come on. Man, drink a little more of that. Drink a little more wine. Smoke a little more herb. Do something. If I can keep his mind off that inheritance. 
He'll never, he'll never be a king. Because if he ever learned how to reign, he's going to rule over me. So I got to keep, I got to keep him, his head down. Whatever he like, what does he like? Anybody know what he like? He like women. Give him all you want. <laughs> you go back and look at your life. Whatever you were lusting after never ended. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You go back and look at it. If it's women, they're always going to show. Soon you said, I'm done. There come another life. Where you get my number from anyway? And you, you don't like, where did she come from? Where he come from? Everybody that come in your life, God don't send them. You get the message. All right, let's move on. Verse 33, here we go. Now listen to a story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard. Sound like the garden, doesn't it? You catch on a minute. He built a wall around it. He, he dug it a pit for pressing out the grapefruit, the grape juice. He built a tower to look out. Sound like where we started out. Then he leased the vineyard to tenants, farmers, and he moved to another country or he went back to heaven. At the same time the grape, of the grape harvest, he sent servants, uh, prophets, to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his prophets, called them servants. The landlord sent a lot and, and, and killed one and stoned one, every one the Lord would send them. So the landowner sent a large group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his, his son, thinking surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmer saw the son coming, they said to one another, he'll come to hell. Wonder what they say about you. Somebody said, he'll come to hell. If you're a son, then you're an heir. He'll come the heir. Why was he the heir? Because he was God's son. Once you become God's son, you become the heir of everything God has. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking surely he would respect my son. But when the tenant farmer saw his son coming, they said to one another, he'll come the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him. And get the estate for ourselves. <laughs> Wonder what they said about your property. Wonder what they said about all you have. If I can get rid of this guy, maybe I can get his stuff. <laughs> maybe we can keep him drunk, keep him high, give him all the women he wants, all the men he wants in life. He'll never get his inheritance. Boy, they betting, ain't they? When the owner of the vineyard returned, Jesus asked, What do you think? He would do to those farmers. Rebellious leaders replied. He will put the wicked men to a harbor death. Then he's going to lease out his vineyard to others who will give him his, his share of the crop after each harvest. Now that's exactly where they come in with the word cheerful giving. 
because God blessed us with everything, then we're supposed to make, also give something to him. Let me move on. Don't want your money. Just trying to show you. The, the religion leader said he would put the wicked man to a harbor death. Lease the vineyard to other who would give him his share of the crop. After each harvest. Then Jesus asked, didn't you ever read this, that the stone that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. I tell you, now he's going to tell you what it is. I tell you the kingdom of God. Remember, that's what Jesus preached. Jesus preached what? The kingdom of God. He says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Now, who is he talking to? Talking to Israel, right? The kingdom of God was taken from them and given to a nation. And what, this, what the nation is supposed to be doing? Bringing forth fruit will produce the proper fruit. Now, what fruit do you produce? Some of y'all know it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know that, we got a series in the storehouse, the fruit of the Spirit, love. See, you're supposed to give God love. That's the crop. You're supposed to produce fruit. Righteousness, peace, and joy is the kingdom. You're supposed to produce the fruit of that. Galatians 5 told her what the fruit of the Spirit is. See, you, you, you got to understand, you, oh, when you don't love, it's not me you're not being disobedient to. You're, not, you're being disobedient to your father. You, you're supposed to produce fruit. You, you're a fruit tree. And you still think, oh, in the book of Revelation, it has all manner of fruit. No, you got all manner of fruit. That's what we're talking about. The love he gave you is for me. Give it to me, please. <laughs> Ain't that right? He didn't give you the love for yourself. No fruit tree eat of itself. If I go outside those fruit trees out there, pears, man, look like somebody been in them pears already. They are not ripe yet. When I start talking about fruit, I have to talk about sister trivia back there. Girl got a whole farm. Amen. I'm not going to even bother her. I can't name all the stuff she got in her garden. Amen. Last week I think I got cucumbers, tomatoes, berries. I can't even imagine. No, I can only imagine. Let's move on. Now, we gave you Matthew chapter 20, 21. I'm done with that. I'm sure. I, gave you, I got some more out there. Romans chapter 8, right? Romans 8. We're going to start at verse 5. Now, I'm reading this out of the NLT. Romans 8 and 5. See, once we look at this thing, it's going to be like, maybe that's why I'm not getting anything. When I go to God in prayer asking him for things I need, I'm not getting them. And God said, but my God shall supply all of my needs. Yeah, he sure said it. But who is he talking to? He's talking to his son. He's talking to the heir. You're trying to get something, and you don't even want the word. You don't even want the Lord. You're trying to get what he has. It's yours 
if you're an heir. Look at somebody and say, it's yours if you're an heir. If you're an heir, you can ask for what's yours. I mean, when you go to the bank and you got money in the bank, do you have a problem to get your own money? It's your money. But it's a problem getting money if you ain't got nothing in the bank. You, you, do you understand? So, say, I'm an heir. Everything the Father has is mine. So you don't have to worry about it if you're there. You're only getting what's already yours. But when you don't want to be a son, then you want to go to the father and, and tell him, Father, and he's going to like, mm, listen, look, listen here. Now it's father. <laughs> you, if you got children, you experience this. You can tell when children, when children talk to you a certain way, they want something. I mean, all the other time, it was just plain old Earl. But when you want something, it's daddy, father. Come on, you know what I mean. Then you'd be like, what do you want? See, it ought, to be, it ought to be that way all the time. All right, let's move on. That is not my problem. That's not my issue. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 5. We're going to back all the way back. Those... Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are dominated by spiritual nature are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Do you see, this, see the parallel? Right. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads you to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads you to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it would never will. Those ways, I'm sorry, that's why those are sinful under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now remember, if you're a son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. See, he's already pleased. You don't have to walk around trying to please God. He's already pleased. If you're a son, he's already pleased. That's how you please God to be a son. Let me say it again. How do I please God? Just become a son. Once you become a son, automatically you please God. Are we all right with that now? All right, let's move on. And verse number nine. We're going to come to this camera. Verse number nine. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now, what happens if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you? You are not controlled by the Spirit. See, so that's why I tell people all this stuff going on every day. Make sure you have the Spirit of God in you. Because if you don't, you are none of His. When you see people controlled by their sinful desires and sinful nature, you kind of wonder if the Spirit of God in there because if the Spirit of God in there, look what it says, you, but you are not controlled, verse number nine, out of the NLT, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him. So what, what happens is people are trying to get something from God and they are not his. 
Therefore, I'm sorry, verse number 10, and Christ lived within you, so even though your body would die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So he talked to your soul, right? How many can see that now? Your soul has been made right with God. Now your body is going to die. The physical man is going to die. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body or talk to, to your soul by the same Spirit that lives in you. So that's what happened. Not only that the Spirit of God give my soul life, my flesh lives off of it. He keeps you alive. All right. So he said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nation urges you to do. If you live, if you live by the dictates of the flesh, you're going to die. If you, through the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you will live. How many can see that's what you got to do to live? This is not a game. You probably hear me a thousand times. If you live after the flesh, you're going to die. I mean, God don't want you to die at 70. I mean, guess what happened? Now, I said something this morning that I had to change because I had to change. So I'm going to say it again because I got to make sure my ministers that heard me this morning hear me again. From Adam, so if you want to take a note, this is a good time. From Adam to Noah was 2,000 years. Just give you a little clockwork. From Adam to Noah is 2,000 years. From Noah to Abraham is 320 years. And from Abraham to Christ is 600 I'm sorry, 1,600 years. 1,680. Can't read my own right. Now, let me give you a scripture. Matthew 117. That would give you the 1,680. Now, you already know from Adam to Noah is 2,000 years. Now, how do you know that? How do you know that? Because from Adam to Noah is a complete four centuries. I'm sorry, five centuries. Everybody know what a, I'm sorry, not a century, a generation. So if you go back and look at the people, how old they were, you, you, you'll know it was 2,000 years. But Matthew, look at, look at Matthew, I'll just give them just this one. Matthew 117. In Matthew 117, you can easily see it. I got to leave one of my Bibles here on Romans 8 to come back. Matthew 117. In Matthew 117, he broke it down for you in the genealogy. It says, so all the generations, how many, how many know a generation is 40 years? All right. So all the generations from Adam to David were 14 generations. How many know 14 generations has to be time 4 or 40, I'm sorry. 14 times 40. But let's wait till we get to the end and we all add it up. Then he says, and unto the carrying away of David, from David unto the carrying away in the Babylon when Israel went into captivity, it was 
14 generations. So I've got 28 generations, right? Let me go to this camera right here. I got 14 generations twice already, right? All right, let me go to the third one. And from Karen away in Babylon to Christ with another 14 generations. So if I add 14, 14, 14, I get 42. 42 generations. Uh, 42 times 40. 1680. So you know where I got my 1680 from. All right. Then if you go back to from uh, Noah to Abraham is 320 years. That would give you 2,000. And then from Adam to Noah is 2,000. So it was 4,000 years. Everybody see where I'm at? It was 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. Now let me ask you a question. How many years has it been from Christ to us? It's not hard. It's 2021, so it's not hard, is it? All right, but Christ died in 2020. I'm sorry. Will be 2,000 years from Christ would be 2030. Because when Christ came, he started a new, that's how you got A.D. You do know that, right? All right, so Christ was born in B.C. 3. He died A.D. 30. That gave him 33 years, right? So from Christ to now will give you 2,000 years, but it won't happen until 2030. All right, just thought you might want a little history there. All right. Now, Romans chapter 8. Let's go back there. I got to finish that. Romans chapter number 8. Are you enjoying the word? Okay. Romans chapter number 8. So when you look at, I got to read out the NLT. I'm going back to, all right. Romans chapter 8 and let's go down and read verse number 18, because I don't have time to read that, that gap between there. Ah, I got to read it. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sins of the flesh urge you to do, for if you do, if you live your, your life and dictate after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you through the spirit, uh, through the power of the spirit, you, would, you put, the get, put the death those deeds, then you would live. For all who led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He gave you the definition of children of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit. And then you are led by the Holy Spirit. So you got to understand that if you're a son, then you can't just go do what you want. You, you have a heavenly father. That's why the Bible says everything, people will quote the scripture, everything by prayer, but every time they do something, they ain't ask God nothing. You got to ask God. I mean, you, you got to understand everything you get comes from the Lord. You are the son of God now. And since we are his children, see, see the difference? Uh, they that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Okay? Are God's children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joined with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So if you don't have God's spirit, you are not joined with his spirit. Everybody understand that? And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Did everybody see it now? Says since we are his children, we are his heirs. All right. So we are in fact together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory 
But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So that's why Paul wrote that. Now, I'm going to stop that, at that verse because I want, to, I want to get a little Galatians 4, 1 through, through 7, and then we'll be done for the day. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're just going to look at verse 1 through verse number 7. Galatia chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leave an inheritance, somebody say Christ died and left me his inheritance. Right. All right. If a father died and leave his, an inheritance for his children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Look at somebody say, but you got to grow up. Now, you can't get your inheritance until you grow up. Now, grow up, you find that in Ephesians 4. When I get there, he said, be no more children. Remember that? Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's what he's talking about. You can't get your inheritance until you grow up. You can't be in the world and living like the world and all this stuff, partying every day of your life. That's, you're not living like a son. You're not living like an heir anyway. So he says, even though they actually own everything their father had. I want to make sure you read that. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better, than, uh, better off than slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything a father had. Now you tell me how a son is living in poverty. My son work. That's why he said it, right? Not saying you don't pull the work. But you're a son, you got to understand, you're an heir to everything your father has. But you cannot get it until you grow up. And if you're not living the life that the word has given you, you haven't grown up. Still lying, still cheating, still hanging out, living in the world and pleasure. You want... You know, God has scripture in here for that also. That he know how to give good gifts to his children. Then he says, I mean, shall I give this to a child that's living in the world? You remember how he did that in, in Luke 16? Everybody remember, do you remember Luke 16 when the man came to the Lord and said, Lord, give me my inheritance. The father, give me my inheritance. And the father gave him his inheritance. What did he go do? The boy went straight to the world. Went out into the world and got towed. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 they throwing stuff now. Everything moving. The boy went to the world. My favorite girl is the one who has this, this stuff she has. She's sprinkling the water, you know. She has her thing. You know, you see, watch TV. Shakeable, as they call it. Stuff you sprinkle in the water, make it smell good. And you, you wash clothes. <sighs> you catch on. Take it slow. Mmm, okay. Watch what this man says. 
And verse 1, even though they actually own everything their father has. Would you look at somebody and say, you own everything that your father has. God the Father left you everything. And you know where you spend your time at? Getting high, drinking, lying, cheating, stealing, and you wonder why you can't get your inheritance. Look, my time is already gone, man. Woo! Don't go nowhere, though. We, we ain't even into this yet. If you watch this television broadcast, you must become an heir. To become an heir, you must become a son. Well, that's why Christ died, to make you a son and to make you an heir of everything he has, even eternal life. But you got to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things should be added. The kingdom of God is Christ. You got to first get Christ in you, and then everything else will be yours. The Bible said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his sons to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God has not given you condemnation. He has given you life. Receive it. Receive his son. And all these other things shall be added to you. My time is up. And the door of faith is open unto you. Thank you for listening to the Dora Faith Ministries podcast. I hope this message was a blessing to you, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. If you're listening on iTunes, be sure to give us a five-star rating. Also, be sure to find us online at www.mydoorfaith.org. That's www.mydoorfaith.org.